Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. says John 13 and verse number 18 starting just going to read going to read probably to verse 30 uh, to get us started here and uh, just take in the story that may be familiar to some Jesus is speaking in verse 18 he says I speak not of you all I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me and I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. He that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus's bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Just as a side note, this always tickles me uh, because by and large from what we can deduce, this disciple is John, the one who is the writer of this gospel. If I was writing the gospel, I would say it was the disciple that Jesus loved too. Nonetheless, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, Thou that thou that thou doest do quickly. Verse 28. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And it was night it was night for a little while tonight i want to talk to us about love that is enough love that is enough all right amen we're going to pray one more time before we dive in here tonight lord jesus god we're honored lord to be here this evening god we're thankful lord for your presence that we can father feel in this place i pray oh lord god open our minds and our hearts our understanding god to your word let it find, God, a place, Lord Jesus, of security and lodging, Lord, and growth in our lives. I pray, Lord, we will not fail to thank you and praise you for what you're capable of accomplishing in this place tonight. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. The interest of this particular setting of Scripture is that all of this occurs on the heels of Jesus just having finished illustrated a selfless love that he has for his disciples and those that have followed him along his earthly ministry. 
through the aspect of washing their feet. And as we looked at last week, which was foreshadowing the bigger picture of the Lord's death, that he would die for all of humanity that would be very soon unfolding in the book of John. But on the heels of all of this, now he shares with us and unveils to us both who was his betrayer and who was the one that was to deny him here in the scripture, which is interesting. He showed selfless love. Now he's showing who people have denial and betrayal in their heart for him. And so these these individuals uh, that we know to be Judas and Peter, uh, their actions, if you will, these, you know, what we would say is something that is uh, just horrid to think that this man that has invested so much into their lives now that they have betrayed and that they will deny. All of this is with a background, if you could, if you would picture a painting. The foreground is the denier. The foreground is the betrayer. The background, though, is a depiction of Christ's love that is constantly reaching for us. And so we have all of this painted on the same canvas. Every betrayer, every denier, for that matter, every sinner has in the background of their life a depiction of Christ constantly reaching for them. Because there's not a moment that he necessarily ever relents or that he ever stops. He's always reaching for us, even in those times whenever we have turned our back upon him, ignored him, have just discounted him. Christ's love is always reaching for us. And so what's, what's, what's contrasted in this setting of Scripture is basically the perfect love and then some questionable love. His love and what I might call our love. And before it's said and done, Christ is going to challenge us just as he challenged his disciples. And even more so than a challenge, commanded them that they should love like he loves. All right? And so to get a little idea, if you can put my, I had a slide. I don't know if they was able to get it up there, a picture slide along with the stuff that I sent. Uh, were you able to get that picture, that slide? I sent it with the scriptures. Nonetheless, whenever we look at the setting there in John chapter number 13, we have in our modern day society something that has happened through time. Most would uh, lean upon the painting of Leonardo da Vinci of the Last Supper. and You have this long table and everybody's sitting on one side of the table and they're staring out or looking at Jesus and a lot of people has uh, succumbed or subscribed to that concept or idea which is not really the concept or idea that's portrayed in scripture. Uh, what is portrayed in Scripture is that they were sitting or reclining in a situation at this meal. Uh, most agree that it was uh, notable, a table that was called a triclinium, which was known for the Romans and known for the Greeks. It was in the shape of a U, the U that's in your alphabet, all right? Shaped like a U, and on the three sides of this U were, were couches, uh, that were around a table and that the people that came to eat here normally ate in a laying down, there it is, in a laying down type of position and fashioned their heads toward the table, their feet away from the table, typically leaning on their left elbow and eating with their right hand. 
That's typically how it went about. And so quarters are kind of close. Uh, this is just kind of a uh, dreamed up depiction of what it may have been like with Jesus and his disciples. Although you'll see there is a spot right there to the left of what is assumedly Jesus at the bottom of the U uh, that is missing. But nonetheless, they, they would lean on their left elbow. They would eat with their right hand. And the person who was the host was usually at the bottom of the U. They were usually in the center. And anybody that was on the left side, directly left of them or directly right of them, those were places of honor. So when the host had someone to their left and to their right, those were places of honor. And so it's from our text tonight that we deduce that the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, uh, must have been to the right of Jesus. For the Bible says that he was leaning on Jesus's bosom. Whenever he asked Jesus who it was that should betray him, he asked this. But, and the Bible even says later, speaking, I mean, you're, if you're leaning on your left elbow and the person in front of you is leaning on your left elbow, it wouldn't have taken much for John to lean his head back upon the bosom of the Lord in this setting. So presumably, from what we can deduce from Scripture, he was on the right. However, there is another narrative. And that is that Judas occupied the spot to the left of Jesus. Because whenever the Bible says that Jesus dipped the sop or this morsel or piece of meat or bread into the dish, he gave it to Judas. The, the text doesn't, at least what is absent here, if it did happen, the text doesn't record anything about Jesus having to get up in order to give that piece of sop unto Judas. So Judas must have been close. But if John leaned back on his bosom from the right, the other closer spot that Judas could have been was on his left. So since the disciple that Jesus loved, probably John was on his right, then that leaves the left for Judas. So here's what we have. Again, on Jesus' right is the disciple that Jesus loved. This is the disciple that you will later find at the foot of the cross. This is the disciple that you will later find coming to the empty tomb where Jesus was no longer. This is the disciple that you will later find in John 21 that is at the Sea of Tiberias along with others that resorted to fishing. And it is he that was the one that rightly identified the man that was on the shore as they were doing the fishing as that is the Lord. This is the man that's on the right side of Jesus. However, Jesus' left is the disciple that betrays. This is the one that you'll find in the Garden of Gethsemane offering Jesus up with a kiss of betrayal. This is the disciple that you'll find throwing the 30 pieces of silver that he had got for getting Jesus to the authorities back down at the temple at the feet of the chief priest and the elders because he had doubts about what he had done. Sadly, this will be the disciple that you'll find dying because he was hung by his own decision. He committed suicide. And so this is right and this is left of Jesus. The mother... 
of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, at one time recorded in the gospel, says that she went to the Lord and she says, Lord, I ask of you, would you mind if one of my sons sat on your right hand and the other sat on your left hand whenever you come into your kingdom? And the reason why this dear mother asked that is because those places of left and right of the Lord were esteemed places of honor. But notably here in this setting of eating, Jesus has a love disciple perhaps on his right and the disciple that's going to betray on his left a betrayer and one that he loves but if I can state it a little bit more plainly to you tonight in reality Jesus had two disciples that he loved in places of honor at this meal because what we're dealing here with tonight we're not dealing with a naive Jesus. Things are not positioned as they are at the table here because Jesus seems to be oblivious to the events that are going to unfold or what's going to happen through Judas or what's going to happen through John. Things are as they are right here at the supper because he knows exactly where these two individuals needs to be. The Bible says in verse 18 that I read to you, Jesus said, I know whom I have chosen. The Living Bible says it like this. I know so well each one of you I chose. So the placement of Judas where he was is no mistake in the Lord's books. He set the betrayer at an esteemed spot next to him. You've heard the old saying that used to say, you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Now that's true that you keep your enemies close with one, with one element of that being so that you can monitor their actions. Because if they're an enemy, you know, and if they got the, the sword in the sheep or out of the sheep, you know, you can keep an eye on that. But it's also true that you want to keep your enemies close. And if you will, your friends also there seemingly close. Doing so shows that you have a certain similar level of treatment to both friend and enemy. So Jesus in this regard wasn't just, just showing love that demonstrated love through washing these individual disciples' feet, but even their placement at the table. I'm going to put John, who's the one the Lord loves, and the betrayer in honored places of position because I love them both. What a standard of love. Most of us would have nothing to do with our enemies. As a matter of fact, the most space we can keep between us and our enemies. Ideal. Jesus says, no, I'm going to put the one that loves me on one side and the one that betrays me on the other side. They're both esteemed spots, and I'm going to show a similar level of treatment of love for both of them. The Scripture says, and Scripture is being fulfilled right here as these things are happening. The Bible says there in verse number 18, there's a particular verse that Jesus refers back to that's from the Psalms. It's Psalms 41 and verse number 9. This is how it reads in the Psalms. It says, Yea, mine own familiar friend and whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. This is the verse in the Psalms that refers to a time in the book of Samuel 
whenever the Bible would describe that Absalom, David's son, was in rebellion against his father, David. But more specifically, also during that time, David had a counselor by the name of Ahithophel, all right? And he would counsel David and give David advice. But whenever Absalom, David's son, began to rebel against his father, Ahithophel flipped and instead of being David's counselor, now he became Absalom's counselor. So if you will, he turned his back on David. And so it's from this psalm that evidently Jesus even labels this as a prophetic messianic psalm that points all the way to the Messiah in New Testament scripture because the, oh, the Ahithophel of David's story is the Judas of Jesus's story. And ironically, both Judas and Ahithophel committed suicide by hanging themselves. And so whenever Jesus is looking upon all this, again, as we've stated along the way, showing hospitality, a Jew showing hospitality, that's very important to the Jews to be kind and hospitable to friends or passerbyers. And to share a meal together was a very vulnerable, a very intimate setting, amen, for anybody to eat bread at another person's table was a sign of friendship, and so the Bible says at this table is this thing called sop. When's the last time you had a good piece of sop, right? Sop was nothing more. Again, it's a piece of bread or it's a morsel of meat that oftentimes they dipped into a dish that had some type of sauce. And culturally, whenever sop by the host was taken and dipped in a sauce and given to someone, that meant that the guest was wanting to honor that particular individual that they gave it to it was a sign of honor it was a sign of love it was a sign of expressed friendship toward whomever they gave it to we read a little bit of this in the old testament that whenever boaz came to his field where ruth the foreigner that was a moabite who had came back with who had came back with her mother-in-law naomi was gleaning in his field and it was lunchtime it's boaz that beckoned unto ruth and said ruth come on over here and you can dip your morsel into the vinegar and he was doing that because he favored her and so anytime that took place in scripture again it was a note of honor love friendship favor whatever you would like and so here is Jesus has Judas in this honored seat positionally he's sharing a meal amen with Judas which is a sign of friendship and we see in the scripture that he is giving this sop unto Judas as an expression of love. And yet the Bible tells us that Judas lifts up his heel to the one that washed his feet. And that's heavy. I mean, earlier we read that Judas objected to Mary washing the feet of Jesus. But Judas never objected to Jesus washing his feet. But now he's going to lift up his heel, although he's taken bread from the Lord's table. And the Message Bible says it like this. In verse number 21, it says that Jesus became visibly upset. The King James says he was troubled in spirit. Why? Because one ate bread at his table, but his heel was against 
Jesus. And that's the way betrayal is. Betrayal strikes at the heart of our emotions, even the man, Christ Jesus. To lift up one's heel against the individual, it's a little phrase that takes on some different meanings. It means things such as this. He has given me a great fall. It means he has taken cruel advantage of me. It means he has walked out on me. There's an imagery that goes with this, this phrase that he has lifted up his heel against me. The imagery is that of a horse or a mule that's kicking the person that's feeding it. It's kind of our modern day phrase, you're going to bite the hand that bite the hand that feeds you. And it seems like, it seems like John, the beloved disciple, the one that is loved, is the only one that heard the answer that Jesus gave concerning this sop that he was to give the betrayer Judas. We read in scripture, and you can look at it in verse number 26, after John had asked who it was that's going to betray you, Lord, because Peter wanted to know. Peter wasn't close enough to ask himself. He kind of, you know, gestures or beckons to John. John, would you ask? And John asked, and Jesus gives the response that who the, the person it is is who I give this sop to, that I dip it and give it to. But from what we get from Scripture, that must not have been something loud and vocal that he broadcast to everybody because whenever it happens and Jesus says, Judas, whatever you do, do quickly, and he leaves, everybody thinks, well, maybe he's getting some more food or maybe he's going to go give alms to to the poor nobody knew what they were talking about if it was loud enough for everybody to hear then they'd all known the moment the sop was given that's the man so evidently John was the only one that had this understanding so what that means is this when everybody else viewed Jesus giving that sop to Judas, only thing they could interpret by was what it's always been interpreted by an expression of love an expression of friendship, an expression of, of respect and honor. And what John, I don't know everything, I'm, I'm not John, but John must have understood, uh, undoubtedly understood one thing, that this must just be another attempt of Jesus trying to love someone who's made themselves an enemy of him. Hmm. Because he has him in the honored seat. He's done all these things. John, it's like Jesus is saying to John, John, I'll show you who the betrayer is. Jesus doesn't raise his voice to do it. He doesn't point him out, say there he is right there. He doesn't escort him out. Doesn't do none of that. But instead, he lavishes love and honor on him. Now, if we were to point out who the betrayer is for us, if we were to point out our enemy, I guarantee you we may go about it just a little differently. But Jesus did it by treating him with the greatest level of love and respect that anybody could receive. John's probably thinking, how in the world can that person be the betrayer when you've treated him with a sign of friendship? How can that person be the betrayer whenever you honored him with a seat of honored position? How can that man be the betrayer? Because if this is supposed to point out who has done you wrong, then you've not done anything to him but love him. Folks, we are in good, we are in good company 
at the table of the Lord, we are in good company at the mercy of God because you can treat him wrongly. You can disown him. You can turn your back upon him and he's still gonna place you at his table in a place of honor. He's gonna give you respect. He's gonna give you friendship. He's gonna lavish love upon you. Yet knowing you did not reciprocate it, he's gonna... And everybody else may say, what is the deal? I don't notice any difference between what love you have shown me and what love you have shown him. You know why? Because he's not wanting to lose us. He's wanting, the Bible, Old Testament says, he draws us with cords of love. I've said it before. There are two different cords that are mentioned in Scripture in the Old Testament. The Bible speaks about taking with the cords of sin, and there is also the cords of love. And it's as though our lives are as though it were a tug of war in life. There are wrapped around us by nature of our birth cords of sin that we contend with every day. But Christ wants to usurp, if you will, the cords of sin and lasso us with the cords of love. But through life, we find ourselves this constant shifting. You know the little ribbon they put on the tug of war? You know, rope, when it gets so far, you know, game over, this person has won. You find yourselves like the Apostle Paul. The things that I would do, I do not. The things that I shouldn't do, that I do. There's a war in my members. It's the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And sometimes sin is pulling hard and it would seem as though the cords of love are losing. But there's other times we're given over to the cords of love. You know what Christ is doing? Every time he sits you at the favorite place, gives you sop from his hand and honor and position, he's trying to win you over with his cords of love because he's not in this to lose. Amen. Amen. That's the betrayer. And so though we seen earlier that the disciples were jockeying among themselves for who was the greatest, it is slightly comforting to know that we read in Scripture that they didn't have a consensus among themselves about who the betrayer was. The Bible tells us in verse 22, whenever Jesus said that one of them would betray them, that they kind of looked upon one another doubting of who he spake. They, they didn't have an inclination about who it might be. Oh, wouldn't it be great in the body called Christ? That if Christ would say, one of you is going to betray me, we would have a hard time guessing who it was. For two reasons. Because we have more faith in each other. We'd rather believe the better than the worse. Mm. Amen. Well, yeah. <laughs> Amen. They couldn't see each other as the betrayer. Although, and let's get real honest. Although every one of us has the potential. So there's a sense here then that Judas could fool everyone that no one would know, but God still knows. And there's another sense here that we'll never know anything different who it is because God loves them despite their failure to love him back. He treats every child as though it was his own. And I believe tonight that Jesus being upset or troubled in his spirit 
because he's been done wrong, perhaps. Because someone will do him wrong, perhaps. But mostly, I believe he is upset because he's doing everything he can do to show love, respect, friendship, honor, etc., etc. And the response he's getting from Judas is still the same. Heading in the direction of betrayal. I believe Jesus is ultimately upset because Judas, Jesus' love wasn't enough for him. Jesus' love wasn't enough for him. Folks, if his love is not enough. I know up to this point it's been just washed feet and supplied meals and sop given. But the cross is just on the horizon. If his love isn't enough, if that's not enough. Notice, notice it's John that is near enough to Jesus to lay his head again on the breast of the Lord. In that position of being near to Jesus, he is in a position that gives him the opportunity to ask something of him. That's the reason why Peter said, hey, do you mind, you know, Find out what's going on. He was in a position because of his nearness of being able to ask something of the Lord. Peter beckons to John because of that position. John leans back then on Jesus. Here's the thing. Judas, though, was just on the other side. John leaned back and made contact with the Lord. If only, Jesus, if only Judas had leaned forward. He could have made contact with the Lord. John was close enough to reach the Lord. But evidently, Judas was close enough for Jesus to reach him. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, amen. The Bible says in verse 30, he then, speaking of Judas, he then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now, uh, it says he received the sop. Doesn't say he ate the sop. Doesn't say he digested the sop. Just says he received it. He took it from the Lord. The bread, the morsel that was extended to him. He received the sop and immediately went out. Think here with me just for a moment. Judas, imagine this. Judas with the piece of bread, morsel, whatever it was. Judas with the piece of bread or morsel in his hand that he received from Jesus, that he had received at Jesus' table, he left with the piece of bread in his hand, but a plan of betrayal in his heart. I pose to this congregation tonight, how many times have we held his bread in our hand? Symbol of his love. Symbol of his compassion. Symbol of his friendship in our hand. And yet betrayal's been in our heart. Because we can't deny what's been given to us. We can't deny what's been given to us. We can't refute what that is an emblem. What that is an emblem of. 
And the Bible says he went out and it was night. That's, that's more than just a demarcation of a literal night because all throughout the Gospel of John here, we have noticed John is constantly throwing up for us contrasts of light and darkness. Amen. How Jesus came into the world to be the light and that the darkness comprehended him not. Or people loved their darkness more than they did the light. This is more than just a literal night. He is talking to us that G Judas here has left the table of friendship, left the table of love, left the table of admiration left with an emblem of everything that God has meant and been to him in his hand but he's had betrayal in his heart he walks not just in a literal darkness he walks in a figurative darkness and the gospel of John has already said that a man that walks at night stumbles because the light is not in him amen the contrast cannot be greater folks because the Bible tells us in the section of scripture that I read to you that Satan enters Judas that's what it says. He's been messing with the heart of Jesus, the mind of Judas. He's been impressing upon him. But after he received the sop from the Lord, Satan enters Judas. Now let's contrast that for a moment. We'll see later in John 14, it's speaking about how it will be done. But we can go all the way to the day of Pentecost. Satan enters Judas here. But all the others, the spirit of Christ will enter on that great day of Pentecost when the church is birthed. What's the difference? They all sat at the table. They all sat at the table. They all had their feet washed and John and Judas was right by the Lord. But one leaned back upon him and the other received from him an emblem of love yet walked out with betrayal still in his heart. And that will decide the factor what enters your life. Someone say amen. They're both nearby. They're both loved. But for one, his love wasn't enough. Verses 31, let's look at it here. 31 through 38, let me just read them and then we'll talk about a few of them. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, when Judas was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. The reason why, because this is going to start the stone rolling toward crucifix. And that was Jesus' glorification. We have a hard time wrapping our minds around that. But his death was his glorification. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself. Shall straightway glorify him. Little children, Jesus says, yet a little while I am with you. That sounds familiar. Ye shall seek me as I said unto the Jews. Whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Got to love Peter. Jesus answered him, whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Jesus says, just a little while, guys, and I'm with you. That mirrors something he's already said to them when he said the light. He said just a little while, and the light is with you. He's making a marriage here. He is that light, which he has already told us emphatically. Just a little while, and I am with you. Now, look, he spoke. What he spoke to the Jews and what he spoke to the disciples was the same. He told both of them, I'm going somewhere. 
that you cannot go now. I'm going somewhere you cannot go now. To the Jews, you can look back in previous chapters. To the Jews, they never will be able to find him because they rejected both him and his word. The Jews, all right, whenever I say the Jews, I'm saying those that were in opposition to the Lord. The Jews, according to John 8, will die in their sins. They will not follow him now. They can't follow him now, and they cannot follow him later because of their decision of rejection of the Lord. But to the disciples, right here to Peter, the remaining disciples, he says, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards you go on and read in john 14 it's where he starts his little discourse and says in my father's house are many mansions and if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you that where i am there ye may be also you can't go now but afterwards you will follow. Someone say amen. And just hold on here for a moment. So later, later the remaining disciples will follow. He's, prepared, he's, going, he's going to prepare a place for them. Yeah, they're, they're going to have life and life in his name. Now, 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 now just, just follow me here. Here in the little ending of all this. According to Warren Wiersbe, the word love is used 12 times from John chapter 1 to John chapter 12. 12 times. But from John 13 until the end of this book, John 21, the word love is used 44 times. Formally, here in our scripture, formally, the command has been even from Deuteronomy forward to love the Lord your God. Right? With all of your heart. Hmm? Right? With all of your soul and with all of your might. To love God. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, I have a new commandment for you. But he's talking about this love business. Nothing new about that. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love our neighbor as our self. But at this point, things are changed up a bit. Because at this point, there's a little twist, if you will, that Jesus puts on this. At this point, the foot washing, of course, in their eyes has been a degree of love that the Lord has had toward them. But it's pointing to something greater. By laying down Jesus, by laying down his life, he would love them more than he loved himself. Are you following me? By laying down his life, he would love them more than he loved himself. Now, if the early command is to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus has just taken this to another level because by laying down his life, he's loving them more than he loves himself. Someone say amen. All right. So he tells Peter, you cannot follow me now, but you can later. Because following me, as we've seen through the gospels, following the Lord means what? You're not required to deny Christ to follow the Lord. You're required to deny self to follow the Lord. And denying self 
also includes then taking up your cross and following him. Peter says, Lord, no, he says, you can't do it now. He says, but you will afterward. Someone say amen. When we consider this, folks, think with me for a moment. We want to look at Judas and we want to look at Peter. And Yeah, Peter's the denier and yet, you know, he's there on the day of Pentecost and Judas is the betrayer and yet, you know, he takes his own life. But here's something you got to remember. You see in Scripture that the plans of Judas and his sins were planned. They were, if you will, things that were formed in his mind and his heart before they were ever played out. He was strategic about what he was doing. His sins were planned. They were delivered. Deliberate. While on the hand of Peter, his sand was somewhat involuntary and stemmed from a momentary weakness and a lapse. He didn't wake up one morning and decide that day, I'm going to deny the Lord today. No, it happened in a momentary lapse. Whereas Judas planned deliberately to do what he was going to do. How do you know it was a momentary lapse? I'll tell you how, because right here in scripture, he tells the Lord, he says, I'll lay down my life for you. Those are not a words of a man that's deliberate about, you know, harming the Lord or denying the Lord. But Jesus says, you will follow me, Peter. You will follow me, but you can't follow me now. Let's say it like this. Peter, you need just a little bit more time to mature. Why? Because your actions have not caught up with your profession. I want someone to hold on to that. Your actions have not caught up with your profession. What are you saying? You say you'd die for me here and now, but there's no supporting actions for that. Let's say it a different way. You will not die for what you refuse to acknowledge. Man, just the, just the other day, you all right, Mariah? Just the other day. Just Sunday, we were at Taco eating with the Masons, and uh, there was a Jeep and trailer that was pulled and parked over by the curb close to Taco, and Mariah's like, what are they doing parked there? Which, you know, they, you can park there. There's no signs or anything. She says, well, I pulled that up into the parking lot. There's plenty of space there, blah, blah, blah. And, and Brother Mason is like, I, I want to see this when you're old enough to drive, and I want you send me the video of you doing it said he probably parked down there because it's going to be a little tighter to get in and get out than if he were, oh, I take care of you. You know what that is? That's somebody with a profession that has no actions to support it. I told her, I said, I wish you was with me in my years of evangelizing. There's a lot of tight spots you could have got me in and out of. With that dually truck and 36-foot fifth wheel. What are you saying? Peter has... Great intentions. And he's saying, I'll die. But he's not going to die for what he refuses to acknowledge because he's on the verge of denial here. You will not deny for what you, you will not die for what you deny. Amen. But about three decades later, Peter would lay down his life. Mm-hmm. According to the Fox's Book of Martyrs, Peter was crucified upside down. His head being down, his feet being up. All right? That he, they didn't do that to him. He, re, he asked for them to do that to him. Don't crucify me like my Lord and Savior. Crucify me up, down, upside down because I'm not worthy 
to be crucified after the same form and manner that he was crucified. Peter eventually laid down his life. He couldn't follow the Lord now, but eventually he would lay down his life. He would take up his cross figuratively, literally, and follow the Lord. Why? How? Because ultimately he learned how to deny himself. Why? Because he learned that Christ's love was enough for him. Christ's love was enough for him. It's not enough for Judas, but Judas is hanging from a tree of his own regard. But it is enough from Peter, so he's hanging from a tree upside down because I'm not worthy to hang the same way as the one that loved me, respected me, had friendship with me, adored me. Through my ups, through my downs, my mountains, my valleys, his love is enough for me. Amen. It's, it's enough. It's enough. Whew. You can stand with me. I'll try to tie it up. Here's the... I don't want to call it scary, but I call it sobering fact. In verse 2 of John 13, the Bible says that Satan put betrayal strongly into the heart of Judas. Then in verse number 27 of our reading here, Satan entered him. Now, we have the harmony of the Gospels, right? The harmonies tell some of the similar stories that other Gospels tell from a different perspective or slant. All of them together gives us the full story. In the same sitting of, of having the dinner, the Gospel of Luke tells us, in the same setting, that the Lord spoke to Peter and said, Satan desired to have you, Peter, and to sift you as wheat. You know what I gleaned from this? Judas, Peter, all this... We are all targets. We are all targets. Whether you be Judas, Peter, John, it matters not. We are all targets. And although John depicts himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the reality is all of them, betrayers, deniers, whatever you want to call it, all of them are disciples that Jesus loves. There's no difference in his love. He is no respecter of persons. He's not playing favorites. That's the reason why his love is so dangerous. It's the reason why his love is so dangerous. Because he'll love you the same when you do wrong as when you do right. That's why his love's so dangerous. Because we can mistake in his love as approval. We mistake in his love as approval. There's no difference in his love. But the same as there's no difference in his love, there's no difference in any of our opportunities. Both the Johns and the Judases are within arm's reach. Brother Mason, if you come. So I ask you tonight this. So what about you? Is Christ's love enough 
for you. Because your life story and reality is being played out with evidence that he has had love towards you and signs that he constantly reaches for you. For John and Judas and those, it was they could tick off the boxes. Washed feet, shared meal, place of honor, token of love. But you know, we could tick off some boxes too. We could tick off some boxes too. Spared my life, healed my body, gave me a good job. The list could go on, protect my family. My wife's up here spilling it all out here. Tick boxes. To the just and the unjust. To the saint and to the sinner. But I caution us and urge us tonight with this. If you can't follow him now, don't allow your later to be too late. Holy Ghost. Because his love is constant. His love is real. And his love is waiting on us. We are in arm's distance from the Lord. If we embow our heads all across this place tonight, we are in arm's distance. I feel the Holy Ghost. Is his love enough for you today? Let me state it this way. What more would Christ need to do for his love to be enough for you? I mean, if, if surrendering his life for yours, if taking your place on the cross of agony and shame, if taking your place wasn't enough, what more? What more needs to be done in order for that love to be enough for you? Doesn't matter. You're a denier. You're a betrayer. You're a sinner. Whew live in opposition to the Lord he's going to love you despite your actions he's going to love you despite all of that but I'm asking someone tonight being in the place and with the opportunity that you have why don't you lean your head on back and ask something of the Lord Shh. A little picture we had up there tonight on the left side of Jesus. There's nothing there. I'm assuming it's depicting the time that Judas went on and had to leave and go and do what he had to do. Don't allow there to be a vacancy at the table. Don't allow there to be a vacancy at the table because his love, according to you, wasn't enough. He's here today. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you in the middle of your mess. He loves you in the middle of your trouble. He loves you in the middle of your heart that is being torn by the cords of sin. He loves you. He loves you. And he's doing everything within his power to example that, to show you that, to, for you to feel that. And he wants us to take that standard of love, to love as he loved, denying ourselves, Not just to show it to him, but to one another. These altars are open tonight. Love that is enough. That's the love I'm speaking of tonight. Ha <laughs> ha!
There's room at the table tonight. There's room at the table. Satan entered Judas, but Jesus is going to enter the rest of the remaining disciples because his love was enough for them. Will you tonight choose love? Will you tonight choose him? Hallelujah. He's chosen us. We can only love him because he first loved us. Hallelujah. These altars are open. If someone would just like to say tonight, Lord, your love is enough for me. God, oh God, there's no proving that has to take place. It's not like we have Jesus on trial and he's got to prove his love to his folks. I think that should have already been proven. That should have already been exemplified. That should have already been shown. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, yes, 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 yes.
you lift your hands and praise him right now. Let's magnify the name of Jesus together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. My, what a privilege it's been to be in midweek service tonight. Amen. We have felt the presence of the Lord through worship, through the Word of God. And uh, if you're online with us or in-house with us tonight, if you need Him, He loves you. And we are so thankful for His love tonight. Uh, in closing tonight, uh, I won't keep you long, so you can, you can remain standing. Um, but uh, who's excited for Friday night? Amen. How many is excited for Saturday? How many is excited to remember to set your alarm clock and come back Sunday morning? So I want to just reemphasize that, and we're excited for Sunday night too, but I don't want to miss Sunday morning just because we have a little bit of a later night, Saturday night fellowshipping. All right, uh, we'll get rest, we can sleep on Monday <laughs> after work, all right? Uh, but we've got a big weekend ahead of us. We are celebrating our 80th year as a church. In a post-COVID world almost, we're still celebrating that the church is still here. We are celebrating 10 years of our pastor and his family with us. Amen. So we, we've got a lot lined up, and I want to just kind of clue you in on a few things that's going to be happening. Uh, Friday night, you don't want to miss it. Brother Frederick's going to be here preaching. Uh, if you, if you uh, I say this respectfully tonight, but if you normally get here about two minutes before service, you might want to leave just a little earlier. All right? You don't want to miss it because we're not, we're not going to ramp this thing up like an airplane. We're going to go from zero to 60 real fast. So uh, if you're two minutes late, you've already missed some important stuff. All right? So be here. Be on time. Let's be ready to worship Friday night. Brother Frederick's going to be preaching. And our theme for Friday night, we will be focusing pretty heavy on the 80 years of our church. Okay? And then on Sunday morning, Sunday morning service, we'll be back here. Brother Frederick will be back with us Sunday morning and Sunday night. As well, Sunday morning, our focus will be on the 10-year anniversary of our pastor. All right, so if you, if you didn't know that, I want to make sure everybody's kind of clued in on what we're doing. October is Clergy Appreciation Month. We normally do everybody that's clergy in the church all on the same day. We're not doing that this year. All right, we're changing things up just a little bit, so I want to let you know ahead of time. And because this is our 10th year anniversary with our pastor, we are focusing on them. And then the following Sunday, we're going to catch up with Bishop and, and Brother Alex, Sister Grace, Brother Zach, and Sister Malin, and we're still going to celebrate them. We're just going to do it on a different day. All right, so Sunday, please don't miss it. We're going to have a great time. You want to be here, I promise you. And if you're online with us and you can't be here, then be online with us. You don't want to miss what is happening this weekend. Somebody say amen. 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 We are excited about what God is doing uh, in his kingdom. Amen. If you're not standing, why don't you join us tonight and stand. We are going to dismiss tonight. And let's, uh, let's thank the Lord in our closing tonight for his presence and his word tonight. Mighty God, we're so thankful for you. Lord, we're thankful for your presence that you've been in this house, Lord, from the, the word go tonight. 
We thank you, Lord, for meeting us in worship. We thank you for meeting us in the Word of God and what Pastor has brought to us by the Word of the Lord tonight. God, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful, God, that you never give up on us and that we're just an arm's length away. Whether we're good or whether we're bad, God, you're still there for us. Help us, God, to lean into this. Seal it in our hearts tonight, Lord, and let us take it with us. Lord, and we'll not fail to give you praise and glory and honor for it. And the church said in Jesus' name, we walk by faith. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.